shopping experience and I had to go to a craft store of all places. That's right. I went to an emergency craft store. Or I went to a craft store for an emergency. Um, one of my cousins is getting married tomorrow and she needed, oh, no, 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 I don't go to Hobby Lobby. No, no. I would travel an hour out of my way to avoid a Hobby Lobby. Anyways, it's another craft store and I went to get Unity Sand because apparently you need unity sand? I don't know. She needed unity sand, so I went to two different craft stores that were not Hobby Lobby to get two different shades of unity sand. Mission accomplished. I have tea. It's in the refrigerator. I have to go get it. This is my life. Tonight we're discussing um, a topic that in that in fandom that's kind of controversial, I think, because people get really, really upset with you if you violate their perceptions on who should be the top and who should be the bottom when it comes to gay sex um, between men. Uh Anyways, um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about um, anal sex. We're going to talk about tops and domination and submission and emasculation. And we're going to talk about all of those things. Um, so I'd like you to set aside your preconceptions about, uh, if you can, about anal sex and, and how you think that works and how you think it should work between two men and how you should think it should work between a man and a woman because it does happen. It is completely... It happens. Um, one thing that bothers me about fandom is this uh, desire for people to warn for who is on bottom. I was once asked, no, I was not asked, I was ordered in Sentinels of Atlantis, I have Jack O'Neill um, bonded as a Sentinel. His guide is Patrick Shepard, John Shepard's father. Um, and when they bond, Jack is on top uh, because he's a Sentinel, and that's just the way I tend to write that first bonding scene is because the Sentinel has a lot of physicality going anyway with his senses and bonding, and I just think it's better from a sense perspective if the Sentinel is on top, if at all possible. Um, I don't know. It's just some weird thing I've got going. But if you've read Sentinels of Atlantis, you know that John takes it as much as he gives it. If not more in that series, I think he might be on bottom more than he is on top. I've never actually done a count because I don't care. 
in most circumstances, I really do not care. Um, in Ties That Bind, it's very calculated. In other sh- in other series that I work on, like um, it's just it's just not, it's just what happens. It, Sentinels of Atlantis. I don't go into a sex scene knowing who's going to be on top or who's going to be on bottom because I don't care. And people who do care, I find you fascinating and weird. I'm going to say it. I think you're weird. And I don't know why you care. Who's on bottom and who's on top? I really do not understand why you're preoccupied with this. I just don't. I need tea. One thing is the assumption I think that a lot of people have is that if you're on bottom that you're the weaker person in the sexual relationship and I'm on my radio show, do you want to say hi? You don't want to say hi, do you? I will tell them what you're doing if you don't stop. Anyway, and so the the question is, is that people who have this preconceived notion about who should be on top and who should be on bottom, it makes me wonder if they think that women are inherently weak and submissive because they get fucked by a man, and I mean heterosexual women, or gay women, lesbian women who like to be fucked. Does, does that make them weak? Does that make them submissive? Is the act of being penetrated a submissive act? <laughs> I, my husband, good Lord. Um, it's just, it's it's really annoying. And so early on when I first started writing Sentinels of Atlantis and I had that sex scene and um, with O'Neill, I immediately got like this email. The email basically went like this. If you write Jack on bottom, you must warn for it. Because apparently this person had to be mentally prepared for Jack O'Neill to take it in the ass. I don't know. I ain't asked him why, because I don't actually care. Just ran my husband out of the room. Ha-ha. Um, but they were dead serious about this. I They ordered me to warn, so my response was, fuck you, because I'm not going to warn. I'm not. I'm not going to warn. I'm not ever going to warn. <clears throat> it's just, it's not going to happen. But they were dead serious about it. And I remember when I first started posting my links to Area 52, that there's actually in the warning section, when you post your fic, you can have all these uh, categories you can click and click on, and then there's a warning section. And one of the warnings in that section is Bottom Jack. I am not, I'm like, what is this? Why is this a warning? And then I wondered, what happened in the Stargate fandom that made this so common? It had to have a warning. Not a heads up, not a tag, but an actual warning. Now, it is very common in the Sentinel fandom for Blair to be on bottom. Blair's always on bottom. I wrote him on bottom in 
the awakening. But there isn't a lot of sex in the awakening. And if I'd have written a second or a third sex scene, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I only wrote one, maybe two. I haven't read that in a while. I couldn't even tell you. I'm thinking two, maybe one. I don't remember. I really don't remember. Isn't that terrible? You write something and you you invest all your time in it and you plot it, and then years later you don't even remember the details. I haven't read it in a while either, so that could be part of the problem. (sighs) My life. Azura said something, and I've said it before too, and I will say it again. Um because I agree with her, you warn for rape and incest and sometimes murder and non-con and dubious consent, you don't warn for who's on bottom, and you don't warn for slash. Because when you do that, when you put those in the warning categories, you're putting them in um, the same range of offenses as rape and murder, incest. And that's just crazy. That's crazy. So whenever I see somebody tell me I need to warn for Slash, I want to stab them in the forehead. Not like completely, not like through their whole brain, but just like, you know, make a dent in the skull a little bit. You know, just just a little bit. Just enough to leave a scar so that other people will be aware. Give me like a warning sign. So if you ever see... Somebody with four little drops, like they've been kind of stabbed in the forehead with a fork. You will know that you can't trust them because they're stupid. I I warn for explicit sex, period, no matter what kind of sex it is. I warn for explicit sex. um, I think that I don't need to warn for language because if you don't know I have a foul mouth, you're going to learn that. You're going to learn that real quick. So I'm not sure you need a warning for that when it, when it comes to my site. But I probably do often warn for explicit language. And I warn for violence. I don't warn for incest because I don't write it. I don't warn for non-con or dubious consent or rape because I don't write it and I never will. I will never write it. Um, I was talking earlier maybe it was last week or the week before, that how when I first started um, posting my fanfic to um, fanfiction.net, I was lectured for not warning for Slash, so I did it because I thought I was supposed to. I didn't know any better. I learned. I learned better. Now, you talk about um, penetration in an act of dominance, and a lot of people associate Penetration and dominance. Whereas if you're penetrating, you're the dominant, you're on top. And I think a lot of people confuse the terms topping from the bottom with the actual position. And there is a mentality associated with topping from the bottom that has nothing to do with the position of your bodies. It also has nothing to do with who's getting fucked. Topping from the bottom is a dominant submissive term. And what that means is a submissive who is 
subverting the power dynamic. And what that means is the submissive is actually controlling the top in a mental space. It's it's not about the sexual position, but you would not believe how many times I have actually seen this in fandom where someone has called the position where one person is on top getting and they're bouncing on the dick as topping from the bottom. That's not what that is. And you need to stop saying it. I'm so fucking serious. Every time I see it, I want to troll the person responsible. And eventually I'm going to lose control of myself and do it. I'm going to troll people because that's ridiculous and that's not what it is. Dominance has nothing to do with penetration. The most dominating person I ever met in my life was a woman. And her submissive was male. And he did not move a muscle without her permission. She dominated him on every single level. He didn't even have a job. His job was to make her happy. She made all the money. She still does, as far as I know. He stayed at home. He took care of the house. He fucked her when she wanted him to. That was his job. And the fact that he fucked her, in no way did that make him the dominant in their pairing. And I'm going to tell you something else. He never, ever topped from the bottom. Ever. So, the act of penetrating another person is not sexual dominance. When you talk about that situation where you're equating dominance and penetration, what you're speaking of, and I'm going to talk about something really difficult for a moment. So if you are um, easily upset or triggered with discussion, surface level of sexual assault, I'd like you to skip about five minutes of the cast because I'm going to talk about it. Rape is a crime of dominance. So when you equate penetration with dominance, you are equating sex with rape. And they are not the same thing. One of the most offensive things I see in fandom is someone calling dubious consent or rape or forced seduction. I I hate the term forced seduction, by the way. I I think it's really terrible. Um, Because really, seduction is... um, a pleasing game of sex play. There's no force there. If there's force there, it's not seduction, but whatever, okay. Um, it is a very ugly term. You're right, Jilly. Um, in the chat room, Jilly said that it was an ugly term, and it's extremely ugly. It's, ugly. it's ugly in practice, too, to see it. Um, but they call it that. In the, so when 
I, I've seen people say, like, there was there was a story that got wrecked in um, Minion headquarters, and I deleted it from the thread because it had dubious consent in it. And when I talked to the person about them um, putting it up on uh, the uh, thread without a warning on it, she said, oh, it was because somebody forced somebody else to have sex. That's not what happened. Sex is consensual. Don't call rape sex. Don't call forced seduction sex. Don't call dubious consent sex. It's not sex. It really is not sex. So don't say when you mean the word rape, don't say someone forced somebody else to have sex because that's not what happens. I promise you. That is not what that is. Okay. So that's all I'm going to say about that. So don't equate dominance and penetration because it's ugly, and that's not what it's about. Sex at its simplest is about getting off. And that's all it should be about. Ever how you accomplish that by yourself or with a partner or two, depending on your needs and everybody else's needs and wants, and you got everybody in there and everybody's on the same page and everybody's whatever you do to get off, that's your business, that's sex. Who's doing the fucking is only important to the two people fucking because that's just how, you know, you have to get the arrangement together. So when I'm writing. When I go into a scene, unless it was ties that bind, I had no preconceived idea about who was going to be on top and who was going to be on bottom. Um, I think that I probably tend to write uh, Shepard mostly on top because, let's be honest, if you write Stargate Atlantis, and you write Shepard having sex in the back of your mind. You're picturing having sex with him yourself. And I like the dick. I do. I like the dick. I'm not going to lie. I can catch one or two. Just saying. So that's why I tend to write. So what, I'm, what I just actually said was is I tend to put myself in McKay's position stories and I don't know how to do I don't know how to deal with that. But um a lot of people equate being on bottom with submission, being the person who not bottom. There are two <laughs> the person getting fucked as submissive. That's not true. There are two ways, you know, tops and bottoms, dominance and submission. Sometimes when you use the words top and bottom, you don't mean any sort of dynamic. You literally mean just the physical positions, and the top is the person who does the fucking, and the bottom is the person who takes it, no matter their gender or sexual orientation. Pitching, and no, I don't want to, no. I prefer fucking, yeah. 
Um, and also, I've always found it, just someone suggested in the chat room that I use the terms pitching and catching. Um, I've always found sports metaphors and sex kind of terrible, especially like the bases, the first, second, and the third base. I That's so juvenile. And whenever I encounter a man who, who uses those terms in all seriousness, I, I'm going to stab them in the forehead too. Not a lot, just a little. Just just a little bit. Not a lot. In fandom, the perceived bottom in a pairing comes really evident early on. If you look at different fandoms, you can pick out the bottom, the traditional bottom. In Team Wolf, if you're talking about Steric, Styles is on bottom, right? If you're in Stargate, SG-1, it's Jack and Daniel. Daniel's on bottom, right? It's Stargate Atlantis, Rodney and John. Rodney's on bottom, right? Sentinel? You don't even have to ask, because that's Blair. Blair's the bottom in the Sentinel. And so they establish, so in the fandom, this gets established. And then when you move away from that status quo and you explore a different part, your people lose their fucking minds. How dare you put Derek on the bottom? How dare you might write Jack as a bottom? What is wrong with you? Blair can't, no, Blair, no, no, Blair's a bottom. You, you can't write him as a top. What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Right? That's what they say. But what I would tell you is is that being on bottom has absolutely nothing to do with being submissive. Period. Stop using the term submissive when you mean bottom sexual position, because they are not the same thing. In dynamic, a bottom is submissive. That's only in BDSM, where the terms submissive and bottom are kind of the same. But it doesn't mean that that's the person who's being fucked. Now, outside of BDSM, the terms top and bottom refer to sexual positions. And that's what happened in fandom. These these ideas got merged together in this weird kind of fucked up problem. So, in a BDSM situation, tops and bottoms have nothing to do with penetration. That's all about dynamic role. Top equaling dom and Bottom equaling sub. Outside of BDSM, top and bottom mean physical positions. The top being the person who's doing the penetration. And the bottom being the one that's being fucked. So these two circumstances came together, and there are people in the fandom who think that Bottom equals submissive, period. And that means the person who's being fucked is submissive, and that's wrong. 
That is absolutely wrong. You need to stop. Stop. Just full stop. It's wrong. <clears throat> well, the, yes, the real issue is, is if you think the weaker person is the one being penetrated, then automatically you're saying that in a a traditional heterosexual relationship that the woman is weak. And that's offensive. That is extremely offensive. That's also, Claire says, and the smaller the partners is obviously the woman. And that's because in, in Slash fandom, there are a lot of female writers, and they tend to feminize the smaller of the two characters. And that's extremely offensive. And you can see that really clearly in The Sentinel, where Blair is emasculated like 99% of the time. Billy just brought something that's really interesting. It says, Tony is bigger than Gibbs, so a lot of writers make Mark Harmon taller than he actually is. That's true. Michael Weatherly is a couple of inches taller than Mark Harmon, but in fandom, they will make Gibbs loom over Tony to emasculate Dinozo into a feminine role, and that's what they're doing. Whether they want to admit it or not, whether you get offended or not, that is exactly what you're doing. You're casting one member of this slash pairing as a woman, and you then you're turning around and making them. A 15-year-old girl who's um, over, who's emotional and who cries. Oh, my God. If I had a dollar for every fanfic that was written where Blair burst into tears at the least, <sighs> I wouldn't need to worry about making money. I'm just going to say that. I would be very wealthy right now because that's re- fucking ridiculous. It is fucking ridiculous. I'm just saying That's not how that works. So I want you, I guess, when you're when you're thinking about um, uh, tops and bottoms and penetrations, you need to keep the BDSM out of it unless you're actually riding BDSM. If you're not riding BDSM, don't ride it. Don't put. your physical top in a role of dominance. It's inappropriate. The fact of the matter is is that BDSM relationships are not nice. So most people don't fall into that dominant or submissive category. It's it's a fringe personality quirk. It, it, It doesn't happen. Not every gay couple out there is a dom and a sub. Not every heterosexual couple out there is a dom and a sub, okay? That's not actually how that works. 
So you need to take the BDSM out of your slash unless you're actually writing BDSM. This is super important because you're corrupting dynamic and emasculating a character. It is insulting to everybody who pays attention to it. It's very insulting. Because not only are you saying that in order for two men to have a relationship, one of them actually has to act like a woman, which is extremely offensive, but two, that women are inherently weaker in every aspect than a man and therefore must be subjugated. That's what you're saying. That's what you're doing. Just stop it. And I promise you not every gay man on earth is into BDSM. I promise you. I swear this on my magic. I I do. I, in fact, know a couple who don't even... They would run in fear of a pair of handcuffs. So I'm telling you, you need to stop. And also this, not every gay man has anal sex. Or a bottom. Some don't. That's an assumption you're making. I tend to write because I think it's hot. And I write where I think it's hot, which leads me down a really ugly road, and I'm not going to go down. Because if I write what I think is hot and then I see somebody writing something terrible, I think to myself, is that what you think is hot? Is that what turns you on, you you terrible monster? And then I get all freaked out. So not every gay man is into BDSM. Not every gay man has a leather fetish. I happen to like leather personally. I'm not a gay man. At least not in this life. I think I might have been a former one. I'm just saying. They're not all twinks or bears. They're normal people, and they have normal things, and they have normal relationships, and they don't tie their <laughs> tie their partner to the bed every night. That's what happens in fan fiction because that's what's fun. But let's insert a little bit of reality into this. And so if you're writing a slash pairing and it's not BDSM, dominance and submission has no place in your story because that is dynamic. And those dynamics don't have anything to do with penetration. I promise you this. I promise you this. Being dominant has nothing to do with who gets fucked. Dominance is not physical. It is mental. It is a mindscape. The top space is very much like the subspace. It has nothing to do with the physical act of sex that is to come. It really doesn't. It is a a headspace, an idea, a my husband's downstairs watching TMZ and I can hear him. 
through the floor. I don't know what he's talking about, but he's furious. And, yes, that's also something that needs to be kept in mind. Um, Julie just said it. Not all BDSM even includes sex, and this is extremely true. I um, I know a submissive young woman who is 35 years old. She's 30-ish. She's 35, 36 years old, and she's never had penetrative sex with anybody. She has a male dom, and... Um, he has never, ever had sex with her. That's not what she needs. <clears throat> Fandom gets very protective of their OTP and how it gets treated and you you must do this, you must do that. And there was a person in Minion headquarters today who was talking about posting a story, and she posted her story, and she wrote, um, and I honestly forget what her fandom was at the moment. Um, she wrote, I think it was Criminal Minds, and she wrote Hotch, yes, it was Criminal Minds, and she wrote Hotch as the bottom. And apparently someone commented to her that um, that basically that she shouldn't have done that because Reed's the bottom. Now, why is Reed the bottom? Because he is younger. He is smaller than Hotch. Therefore, the reader has emasculated him and feminized him so that he must be the bottom as far as this reader is concerned. And Jilly told me just now that three people immediately tagged this author on Hotch being the bottom. Um, because they've... Now, the other side of this is is that, yes, they've emasculated Reed and turned Reed um, into a woman in their mind, which means that the woman must always be on bottom, and that's the way they treat it. That whether they want to admit it or not, that is exactly what they're doing. But I'd like you to open your mind and accept that um, being the person who is being fucked isn't equal to submission. It's not weakness. It's not submission. It's not feminization. It's not. It. It's just. It's not these things. Intimacy, and if you're a woman and you're getting fucked, the next time you have sex with your man, I would like you to put some mental thought into this. I want you to 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 figure out if you're submitting, if you're being dominated, if it makes you weaker. Because if um, this is a if if this is a problem, if this is a problem, um, if inserting the penis is making women weaker, we need to know. We need to be, we need to make a public service announcement and, you know, just get it out there, get the truth out there, because if men are weakening us with their penis, we need to be made aware of it. Because if my husband is fucking up my groove um, and, and destroying my badassness with his cock, I would like to know. 
it's been 20 years. I haven't noticed a decrease in my badassness, but if it's happening on a subversive level and I'm not aware of it, I'd like somebody to let me know so I can work on it. Maybe retrain the dick, you know. I'm just saying. Think about it. Is your husband's cock making you weak? The answer should be no. But if it is, I would dearly like to know what he's doing <laughs> what he's doing with it that makes you feel this way. I really would like to know because frankly, it's kind of empowering on my end of things. I'm going to put that out there. Um but yeah, so, you know, when you emasculate a male character and put them in a role of a woman, you're doing a disservice to men and women. Because you're also, a lot of these writers equate being feminine with being weak and um, and it also probably goes back into that whole Mary Sue thing where, you know, female characters are are to be, you know, here's the thing. I bashed um, Sam Carter in Ties That Bind because she was convenient, not because she was a woman. Convenient. I could have easily made up an OC that was male. Um, I just did it with because she was convenient. And also, she's kind of an asshole in Canyon. In Canyon. She doesn't always think of the impact her decisions will have on people. And McKay's the same way, you know. Um, so, Carter was convenient. And, yeah... Julie just says that fandom says you can idealize a male original character, but you get spanked for doing it to a female OC. Oh, the dreaded Mary Sue. You know, the, oh, how dare you write a Mary Sue. I'm going to write the fuck out of a Mary Sue. You watch. I'm just going to own it. Boom. If you think I've written a Mary Sue before, you don't quite know what I have planned. I'm just going to let you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, so Carter fit my narrative, absolutely, Sorka, and I chose her, and it wasn't because I hated the character, and I've written Sam in a variety of ways um, throughout my, my body of work, and so, um, it's just because she was convenient. Uh, but women, female characters, are often demonized um, in fandom. I bash the fuck out of Jenny Weasley because she's two-dimensional and I hate the character. And fangirl, 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 author insert, why'd you, why'd you do that, JK? Oh, Julianne, what were you thinking? Um, I bash Molly Weasley because she's a terrible mother. She's written like she's the best mother ever, but she's not. She's really not. Julie says that she bashes Ziva because she can't stand her, and it's not because she's a woman. It's because she's mean. Ziva is mean. She's, And that's a writer failing. She wasn't given any kind of um, – they didn't soften her the right way. 
And that's just bad writing. Actors had to deal with it. That's the same thing with Jennifer Keller. Jennifer Keller's character had a... um, could have been good because there was a really talented actress put into the spot and she was cute and she um, was very talented and it could have gone really well. But writers, I'm going to say this, and this is going to be insulting as fuck, but I'm going to say it anyway, male science fiction writers have a really hard time writing female characters. They're always... Barbie cheerleader inserts. And I don't know if it's because they grew up in high school and the hot girls wouldn't come talk to them. I don't know what it is, but they need to stop. Very few science fiction television writers can successfully write a female character. I, um... I'm just like totally off topic. <laughs> I'm gonna put Lady Holder on the phone so she can <laughs> keep me on topic. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Is this is this not Lady Holder? I'm sure this is probably this is probably not Lady Holder. Am I on? You are, <laughs> Julie. <laughs> Yes, it's me. Lady Holder and Jilly actually have, they don't have a similar telephone number, but their area code is kind of transversed. They have the same three numbers. So I thought it was Lady Holder on the phone with me all this time, and it was you. (laughs) That's okay. You'll do. (laughs) No, but Lady Holder isn't actually on the phone. I think she could be at a family event. And I forgot. She said she was going to be late. Yeah. 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 Anyways, so um, you have a big you you have big opinions about Mary Sue's and, and female characters in, in, in the fandom. About Mary Sue's and female, yeah, I think that you know even the best writers, um, they um, tend to when they write good female characters, what we consider strong female characters. They still edge towards two-dimensional, which means they tend to strip their femininity away to make them a badass. Right. And, like, you didn't do that with, like, um, your Star Trek with Amanda. Um, She was very three-dimensional. She could still be a woman and be a badass. And, um, but most writers just write them very two-dimensionally. Either they're, you know, sweet kind of Barbie type, or they're just the utter bitch. And it's like there's no nothing in between that feels like you know an authentic female, or like a real person. Yeah, real because real <laughs> women are badass. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you right now the fiercest thing I ever seen was childbirth. That's some fierce shit. I ain't gonna. Mm. <laughs> I've never done it. Really fierce. Kudos to you girls for having accomplished that. Good job. (laughs) That's just craziness. But, yeah, you know, in fandom, um, there are two sides of um, the divide, you know. And um, when you write a slash pairing, 
you're often forced to, because of canon, to get rid of a female love interest one way or another. True. And so you end up bashing the female character, whether you mean to or not, from somebody's perspective. I've been accused of... um, In fact, this is really interesting because Natoya, is that how you say her name? Hasn't actually appeared in Tangled Destinies, and I had a reader assume that I was going to bash her. She's not even made an appearance. She did. That's just bizarre. I didn't even I didn't even really bash what's her face. Uh Spock's original woman. What what was her name? Tapring? It just completely fell out of my huh, what? Tapring? Tapring. I didn't even really bash her. She can't help she was raised by a psychotic asshole. Just, you don't have to bash a woman people, to get to, to end the relationship. You can do it. You can do it. I mean, now some characters you just bash. Like if I were to ever plow into the horrible Tiva thing, I mean, I don't know that I could not bash Ziva. But, um, <laughs> but that has nothing to do with the relationship. Because <laughs> I hate her guts. Um, but I hate her whether she's in a relationship with Tony or not. So it's not. But you know, if he was in another relationship, you know, you can end a relationship and have somebody move on in a way that's that's not the woman being an obnoxious, horrible person about the whole thing. I tend to bash the hell out of Jennifer Keller, and I can't help it. It's not the actress's fault. Um, I don't even actually hate the character. I hate the way she was written, and it really infuriates me. It Because it, it says something so ugly, and this is what it says to me, um, that Rodney could only attract that young woman by changing everything about himself. And that's so ugly. And that's the root of why I hate Jennifer Keller. It has nothing to do with her. It's the way she was written and the way the writers twisted McKay up to fulfill their own nerd fantasy. It, it it's so ugly. It is just it just it makes me so mad. I feel like what is wrong with you people? Because they had to force it. They had to force Rodney into this contortionist position to make it fit. Because otherwise, it didn't fit, and they don't fit. And even the actors were like, we have no chemistry. <laughs> what are we supposed to do with this? You know, so I actually kind of felt sorry for Jewel as she was pushing through this. And you can see there is no chemistry. And this is going to sound, this is terrible. But it, honestly, in the scenes where they're together, they have better chemistry as father and daughter than they do as lovers. Oh, yeah, that's kind of horrifying to think about. Ew. Because she has that whole vulnerable protect me thing going on, right? And yeah. he responds, David Hewlett responded in a very maternal, paternal, 
paternal way, whether he meant to or not. And he obviously didn't mean to because he knew where this was going to go. But he, and you, if you see them together in other things, David Hewlett treats Jewel State with a great deal of paternal fondness, and it leaks out all over their relationship in, Star, in Stargate, and it's gross. <laughs> it's just ugh. And the other thing, the interesting, about, interesting thing about Jennifer Keller was that she was a little bit of an aberration for the female characters on Stargate in the Stargate franchise. Stargate never shied away from having um, badass women on the show. And they weren't all, you know, young Barbie dolls who really had no value to the plot. Um, Mm -hmm. And whether you liked the characters or not was sort of a side issue, but they were not, you know, a lot of your run-of-the-mill female characters. And then they brought her in, and you just kind of went... I don't get it. Hmm. Well, see, they gave her an interesting backstory, and then they stripped it from her. I mean, they okay, she went to medical school when she was really young. She's got a father, but there there appears to be no mother. She's in. She volunteered to come to Pegasus at that age. She's it, there's so much potential for her to have been really interesting. Almost is almost a mirror to McKay because McKay went to school very young. McKay didn't have a lot of parental um, influence. Um, he started in the Stargate program a, a long time ago. He could have there. There were so much more interesting things that could have been done with Jennifer Keller's character that were not done for the sake of fulfilling a nerd fantasy. Let's bring it mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Rodney probably has socks older than Jewel State. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I even said it in one of my stories that, I, that um, maybe some socks <laughs> have socks older than her. <laughs> you know, because that's just that's so ridiculous. And also, let's be for real. She wasn't with the original expedition. She's under the age of 30. Uh, She's probably just finished her residency because I'm not even sure, you know, from a realistic point of view, she probably wouldn't have been able to get a license to practice medicine until she was at least 18 years old because there's no insurance company on earth that would have covered her as far as malpractice um, 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 insurance goes. And you can't function as a doctor in the United States without malpractice insurance. Well, that's just not how that works. So she may have finished up her residency. She probably did absolutely no time in the mountain itself. She gets taken to Stargate. She goes. Um, she goes to Atlantis. She works under Carson for maybe six months, maybe, maybe. And then suddenly she's the chief medical officer of the entire fucking expedition? Really? Yeah, they just threw plausibility out in order to, as a plot device. They used her as a plot device. And they killed off Carson Beckett to make room for her. Let's be real. That's exactly why the character of Carson Beckett was killed. 
to make room for the character of Jennifer Keller. But there were other doctors on the city that had been on there since the very beginning. And suddenly, they've got this extremely young woman with no practical life experience. Because I'm sorry, if you go into school at a very, very young age, we're talking 12, 13 years old when she was an undergrad, she would have had to have been. Because medical school is a long fucking time to be in school. So she's a what? She's got three, maybe four years of undergrad before she could even get into a medical school. Because Doogie Hauser doesn't actually happen. That's not real. That doesn't happen. Um, so by the time she finished her residency, she might have been 25. There, She doesn't have the life experience to be somebody else's boss. Much less be in charge of an entire city's medical that's life and death stuff. I mean, that's just, that's craziness. <clears throat> so Elena's saying that med school can be four to six years and residency can actually be up to seven plus years. And that's if she'd gotten into medical school in her early teens. So from the get-go, her character is, extremely unrealistic and even if she had managed to do this and become a doctor and go through her residency at the age of say 26 or 27 no matter however how old she was in the show there's no way she has the life experiences to be the chief medical officer of an expedition in another galaxy she wouldn't be qualified to run a residency program in a hospital on earth I'm just saying. No, I totally agree. It just never made any sense. She was just such an odd fit. Um, if they brought her on but not as the chief medical officer, that just... But I don't even see them sending somebody, although it, it's a little bit consistent with canon that they ship these really young, fresh-faced people out there to the wilds of the craziest thing in the universe and expect them to do well. I recently rewatched the first season of Stargate Atlantis, and I was like, wow, so many of them are so young. Don't they do just grab them straight out of boot and throw them through a wormhole? Very young. And you can think about the Ford probably wasn't even six months out of um, Annapolis. <clears throat> Maybe. And he's officially the second command of that expedition. That makes no fucking sense. Militarily speaking, that makes no sense. <clears throat> Whatever. <laughs> so, back to it. Dominance and um, penetration and power dynamics and anal sex and read. The guy who plays um, Reed on Criminal Minds is beautiful. That is one pretty young man. And, and very twisted. twisted. Have you seen the episodes that he directs? It's like he goes through all the scripts and picks out the most fucked up ones. I want to direct this one because he directed Mr. Scratch. And if you haven't watched Mr. Scratch, don't he, watch it at night. Definitely not. He also directed that one where the people were people puppets. Yeah. 
the the, the marionette was one of my free, one of my freakiest episodes. I, I I can't even I can't even I'm just saying. So yes, he's a creepy young man, but he's also a very pretty young man. He's he's very attractive, and um, he is slender, and he is um. In fandom, he is often emasculated, much like Blair was on the Sentinel. And I think that Blair was treated that way because he was pretty and he had long hair. And Reed had long hair for most of um, Criminal Minds. And writers, some writers, not all, feminize these characters and put them on bottom. And some of those characters, when they feminize them, they it's weird how they pick some of the most badass characters that are incredibly strong and choose that to be, just because they have, they're attractive and they're smaller in some fashion. Because Matthew Greg Uber's quite tall, but he's very sort of delicately boned. Blender. And they, yeah, and I, they make them, um, they they completely alter their personalities in order to, effectively feminize them as if that was a bad thing. Right, and then you know, that, that's the worst part, is not only do they write these young men as women, they don't even write them as a strong woman. <laughs> just I know the there. crying. It's like I'm. It's, most women I know don't cry. <laughs> and if they do cry, it's the over something real, like steel magnolias or something. They don't cry over just everything. I know, right? I um I tend to be emotional, but I'm gonna tell you something. Um, there are only two times that I really cry. That's when I'm mad, and that's when um somebody dies. <laughs> I don't handle death well, and I if I'm really super crying, it's because I'm mad or I'm hurt, and then I'm mad because somebody hurt me. So. This weepy thing that some writers have the bottom doing, and I just quoted that. I just did little finger quotes. <laughs> the bottom doing in um, in in fan fiction is it's so offensive. It's so offensive to me as a woman because I can see them emasculating this character and turning them into a woman, so they can have in their mind their predefined gender roles for sexual situations because they're not going into this situation on a uh, now consciously they're writing two men but unconsciously they're writing one of these men as a woman and Harry Potter is often Harry which I find very interesting most of the time when I've read uh, a fan fiction for Harry Potter, Harry is often on bottom and for me. And I'm like, mm. so I tend to write him on top just because I've read so much where he was on bottom. Except for that one where he has that huge dick. Oh, but the big dick come quick. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, 
I just I, I find the whole thing very annoying. But what I find most annoying is the if you step outside of the fandom norm, people come along behind you to let you know. Oh, don't do this. Oh, warn for this. Fuck you. I'm not warning for that. I'm never going to warn for that. I'm really, really, really not. In fact, I'm more likely to make fun of somebody for warning that, for warning for who's on bottom than I am to ever actually warn for who's on bottom. But you know what? I think from now on I'm going to warn for who's on top. Caution. I think actually I have. It is on my website. I actually say that you'd be safe to assume that everyone is taking it up the ass, rather than to assume somebody won't be. And I think that that's just (laughs) going to be my new tag. Everybody takes it up the ass, even if that's not true. I don't care. I'm just going to say it. Um, I'm just going to put that on mine too. Everybody's getting fucked. But you know, there's an interesting um, there's an interesting double standard amongst. the, and, and I and I actually have seen it from the same people. So, so you have the people who who this is many many years ago. But you have the people who bitch at you about well this character is a top or this character is a bottom, and people have very pretty. And you know it's fine if you as a writer have a perception about who prefers to be fucked. I mean if you have a character who is just you know getting fucked is their reason for living. I mean go for it, but don't do it because they're weak. Write that shit. <laughs> You know, know, it's not because they're weak. Some people just like really like getting fucked, you know. Um but so you have the you have the side that has this you see you have this preconceived notion and they'll bitch at you if you don't have the right person getting fucked. And then so I would get bitched out about which character I would put on the bottom in story. So this this is this was my first go around in Phantoms a long time ago. And I decided and this is why I decided I was never gonna write head again, is because I decided to branch out and I did a few head stories. And I decided that my female character, I mean, she was a badass, that she was going to really dig anal sex, like really be into it. And I got so much grief for that. It was epic from the same people who needed to feminize the guy getting fucked in the ass, couldn't deal with a woman getting fucked in the ass. It was just, I was like, oh, my God, what's wrong with you people? Why do you care? And that was one. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah, and I was warned I needed to warn for the fact that my female character liked anal sex. <laughs> That's so dumb. If you're one of those people who's ever asked a writer to warn for who's on bottom, I think you're a fucking moron. I'm going to put that out there. I don't care if it hurts your feelings. I don't. That is so stupid. You don't. If you don't like it, don't read it. But you don't have the right to order somebody to warn for something you don't like. You really don't. Otherwise, I would go through the entire Sentinel fandom and ask me and ask them to warn me for Whiny Blair because if there's anything I hate. In the Sentinel fandom, it's whiny Blair. <laughs> it makes me really upset. <laughs> so I want all you bitches to warn for it. I'm just putting that out there for you. 
if your character dry, cries the drop of a hat, please tell me in advance because I don't want to read that shit. <laughs> you know, I read the story once. It was an HP, and I don't read a lot of of hat, but it was a, it was it was a. I, it might have been a threesome, but I think it was just a Harry Hermione story, and. Um, Hermione was constantly fainting every time she'd get upset. She just would have the vapors and just get really agitated and start to cry and faint. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, man, this needed a warning because I felt really traumatized by the end of that. Look, I, I would never tell say you something, that. right? I'm a girl. I've been a girl. Um all my life, and I want you to know that I have been very upset. I have been very angry. I have been shocked. I have been scared. I have been stressed out. And the one and only time I ever fainted, I had pneumonia. Women in Victorian times, that fit of vapors, that fainting, that delicacy, that's not personality, assholes. That's a corset. Corset. <laughs> exactly. They couldn't breathe. Those bitches were fainting because they could not fucking breathe. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there for you because their fucking corsets were making them three sizes smaller than they actually were. And that's why they fainted. And look delicate, and, ha- and we're all pale and broad-eyed because those bitches weren't breathing normally. They're wearing ten pounds of clothes and a corset. <sighs> Women and men don't normally faint. We're not actually like those little creepy goats, and we don't we don't get scared. We don't fainting is usually connected to a medical condition, although. Interestingly enough, I knew a girl that had that auto response to blood. Every time she saw blood, she fainted. Now you ask yourself, how exactly did she have a period? Oh dear. (laughs) Hmm. She said she could not look down. She could not. That's a that's a rough week of the month when you have to do everything by touch. I know. <laughs> but legitimately, women don't faint, okay? And men don't faint either. It's it's not a um, condition that happens in a healthy person. It really it really doesn't. I fainted once in my life, and it was. Um, an allergic reaction to Brazil nuts. So it was not like, you know. <laughs> it was a lack of oxygen. <laughs> it was I, was, I was having a hard time breathing and I was turning blue and I passed out. I think that some people can be overwhelmed with fear and pass out, but this is not a condition that's normal. And it isn't going to happen a lot because, um, your fear response isn't the same in every situation, and you learn, and you grow. And I got to tell you, if human beings fainted every time they got scared, 
or upset, we wouldn't have made it. <laughs> we wouldn't be here. Just saying. No, so there's this, I'm looking at the, some of the um, comments in chat. I'm like, I wouldn't faint at it, the big penis coming at me either because that's something, you know, if it's, just, if it's that big, like one of Azura's dick of doom, you need to be able to run from you that didn't. shit. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you need to know where that shit is at all times. I think what she was saying was that there was a guy who had a dick that big who had who fainted during sex. Oh, um, well, I, that may be, maybe because that's a lot of blood to, <laughs> to journey right. out. right. Um, I had um I don't consider fainting and passing out the same thing. Um cause it, it, I don't think it's the same thing. Um I have passed out once cuz I got hit. But that's well, being knocked thing yeah, the, being knocked unconscious is, yeah, being knocked unconscious is a little bit different. I came up swinging, though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Just put that out there. But, um, I don't know. So, so Her- Hermione fainted through the whole story. Oh, she was constantly crying, and every time she gets to cry, and the next thing you know, she's unconscious, and it was just... And the thing, if you want to write a character like that, it's, it's the hard part when you have an established character that is really tough and is just got her shit together and you want to change her characterization so dramatically with no apparent reason why you don't just you just give her a personality transplant it it really breaks that suspension of disbelief and you just can't I just can't get into it you know I mean I I don't tell other writers how they have to write but suspension of disbelief is a thing you need to have it and when you take a canon character and you give them a personality transplant, it's really hard to stay with the story. Even if I, you know, even if I was into fainting characters, which I'm not, because fainting, crying, just makes me, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable in real life, and I, you know, I don't want to deal with it in fiction either. <laughs> but you don't demand that writers warn for it. Of course not. The oh, basically good. I mean, the maddest I've ever been, I think, is normally when I get angry about something, I just stew on it for a little while, and then I just let it go, or I send back something, you know, really snarky to the person who pissed me off. But the only time I've ever been inspired to rant about something was when someone told me I needed to warn for a canon event. Dead air. <laughs> yes, dead air. I was enraged that somebody told me I needed to warn. For starters, tell me I need to warn for anything, but to tell me I had to warn for canon, bite me. I will not warn for canon. I will not warn for who's on bottom. Just fuck that noise. Not gonna do it. Not gonna no. do it. I'm never gonna do it. Mm-mm. That's just so fucking. But I do that that whole topping from the bottom thing. That's actually I mean I've seen that. I I I, I busted I saying, out laughing when you said that because I did not know that people thought that was a sexual position. <laughs> that's just hysterical. I mean like you know the cowboy the cowboy position yeah but yeah yeah that's um yeah I've seen it and I'm like well, that's not what that 
That's not what that means. What are you what are you doing? What are you saying? Stop that. I was in um uh genre finders for SGA. This is four or five years ago. And someone um actually is it was like, I'd like some fix where um John tops from the bottom. And <laughs> Of course, like I immediately thought there were going to be a whole bunch of BDSM links. So I was like, "Oh, cool!" So I scrolled down. No, no, that's not. And I was like, "Surely they got that wrong." But no, because the person went right behind every one of those racks and said, "Thank you. This is exactly what I wanted." It really is not. Oh, I want to stab people. <laughs> that's so fucking off. It just. <laughs> I think that actually could be one of my bigger pet peeves. Is um. Um. Just, uh, just, just stop it, fandom. Just stop it. That, that's just not what that means. That that, that really isn't. Uh, but then you know, fandom is traditionally mixes up um, BDSM terminology with sexual positions. That whole thing with the top and the bottom, um, that's originated with. BDSM, but it's been appropriated by fandom to demonstrate um, sexual position. Mm-hmm. So of course they're going to do the same thing with topping from the bottom, you know, and not take with it the mental components um, that BDSM really that should be attached to it, and it's just it's really frustrating. But the first time I saw that, I was like, what the fuck? What is this? <laughs> I was just I was like, that's not what that means. In fact, I got so confused, I went and looked it up to make sure I wasn't wrong because all these people kept doing it. They were like they were like 30 or 40 fix recommended on this thread. And I'm like, that not a single one of them was BDSM. And I'm like, what? And so I went and looked it up to make sure I wasn't wrong because <laughs> you ever get you ever stare at a word so long it starts looking like a real word? Mm-hmm. That, that that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. <clears throat> well, this is that case of where stuff in fandom gets becomes contagious. All you need is one popular story that has something significantly wrong with it, um, and people just go, "Oh, I never knew that that meant the person who's lying on their back," and. You're going, that isn't what that means. And the next thing you know, everybody's right. That's not. That's not what that means. <laughs> you, just, you get so mad. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> well, and the funny thing is, but, if, somebody yeah, asked I mean, for, if somebody asked for a wreck and said, I want, actually, to me, that wreck would be like, I want a wreck where John tops in the bottom. I'm like, well, I want wrecks where Roddy doesn't put up with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right, Sorka. I unfriend you. <laughs> I love that commercial. That's not how that works. That's not how any of this works. It really isn't. But fandom, you know, historically borrows terms from BDSM and then uses them inappropriately. But that's just, you know. <clears throat> so I was baiting somebody once who had the mechanics of sex just wrong, anal sex wrong. It was just like, no. Um, 
So I'll tell, you know, and she is not in, didn't make it into the end game of her story because I told her she couldn't do it, and then she had to take my name off her story if she did it. And I usually don't get that bossy with, you know, authors <laughs> where it's like if you don't do what I'm saying to you, you have to take my name off as your beta because I refuse to have my name on something with this mistake in it. <laughs> So, but she was trying to do a double penetration scene with the two tops in the, the two people doing the penetrating, and it was there was power dynamics. You got the two guys who were doing the fucking um, standing side by side behind the the bottom, uh-uh. and I went, no. <laughs> I said, no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can't. It can't. No. <laughs> And she said, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" And I was like, "Would you watch?" Which I said, "Would you please watch some porn?" And she writes me back and says, "Oh, I I could never watch porn." I was like, "All right, this needs to be a rule that if you're not willing to watch porn, you can't. At least if you haven't experienced it and you're not willing to watch it, you shouldn't write about it." (laughs) For real, right? Because um. Like my favorite third hobby. I'm gonna put that out there. <laughs> Watching porn's number three on my list of things to do. <laughs> I can't find anything on Netflix. I'm gonna hit YouTube or XTube actually. Because the only thing better than porn is free porn. <laughs> put that out there. <clears throat> XTube is awesome. And anytime I'm like, I wonder if this could. Because, I mean, there are occasionally things I write about that I've either, I mean, let's be fair, I spend a lot of time in dungeons, I've seen a lot of stuff, but every once in a while something comes up and I go, I wonder if that's possible. Well, you know, that's what XTube is for, i got to get, and then when that doesn't work and I still can't quite figure it out, I just call a couple of my friends and <laughs> say, I need you guys to get in this position for me. After dinner. Does that work? How's that feel? We have, we have dinner. Would you guys get in this position for me? I just need to see if this is going to line up correctly. <laughs> I just need to make sure. Yeah, just that looks great. Could you do some movement there? <laughs> Can you guys be my visual aid? And my friends are really great about that because they've been my visual aids for like 15 years, you know. But um, and they have a mark, mark, marked height difference, so it really works out really well. I need to be sure that the shorter person can do such and such. So, you know, but research, people, research. It's a thing. And don't ever write two men standing I, side by side fucking the same person. Because that's not going to work. Is I've, I've read that in fic, too. It wasn't just me stopping that, her. And she had said she'd read it. That's not how that works. Uh, yeah, you just want to go, dude, that's, that, that's not how that works. That really isn't how that works. Look, I'm going <laughs> to put a little note out for you ladies who've never had sex. Um, nine times out of ten... The average man can't hit the hole to begin with, and they're going to need guidance. Just put that out there for you. So two men standing side by side going for the same hole, that's never going to work. I mean, let's be the only way that works is, one, aliens, and two, tentacle form. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... That's the only way that works. The only way that would work would be if the hole in question. (laughs) Was really, really big. (laughs) The gaping maw. (laughs) I'm so 
imagine how much. I mean, come on now. Also, the dick isn't like a heat-seeking missile. It needs guidance. I, I I can't say this enough. It needs guidance. Exactly. <laughs> like throwing. I can't even say it. Azor says in the chat room, it would be like throwing a Twinkie down a hallway. <laughs> that is exactly what it would be like. A Twinkie down a hallway. Jesus Christ, Azor. What is wrong with you? <laughs> So, yeah, um, oh, here's something else for you, um, in double penetration. I once, um, helped a person, um, writing a a book, and, um, they were writing brothers, fucking the same woman, and that's fine, do that, um, and it was a double penetration. One was in the vagina and one was in the ass. And I'm like, okay, you know. And um, I put one note on it. Just one. And she flipped her shit. And my note went like this. You do realize that in the position these two men are in, that... The one brother on bottom is, uh, his balls have fallen down, but the brother on top, the one that's in the ass, his balls are rubbing all over his brother. (laughs) I'm thinking the same thing. (laughs) Yep. And if they were like in a um, more proactive position doing this particular maneuver, their balls would be rubbing together because you know what? If you've never actually seen the vagina, I'm going to tell you something. The distance between the anus and the vaginal opening is not big. There's room enough for two men to get down there and do business if the woman's in the middle. But when it comes to double penetration... This is true for men, too. If, if there's um, uh, three men together, the two men doing the penetrating, their balls are going to be rubbing up against each other. Well, in that case, they're dicks, there's gonna, too. Yeah, well, yeah. There's going to be <laughs> ball contact. There's going to be dick contact if it's, if, if it's a man in the middle. If it's a woman in the middle, here's something else. While they might not have actual dick contact, they will feel the other man moving inside the woman so because there's not much separating the um anus the anal cavity and the vaginal opening that the vagina itself that's a very thin membrane which is why when women are pregnant and if they have to have if they don't get an episiotomy they can have serious health problems because that membrane's very very thin and there can be leakage into the vaginal, and that's really bad. We won't go there. But when a man's in the ass and a man's in the vagina, they're going to feel each other. That's just how that works. 
So if you've got brothers fucking the same woman, they're going to get really super close. Just... (laughs) I'm trying to be fucking serious, Twisted. (laughs) Just anatomy. That's just some basic anatomy for you if you've never actually done it. Um, Just watch it. As a woman, you you will feel the two penises working separately, and there will be an immense amount of pressure, and um, it'll feel great. And there will be pressure and a lot of movement. And you also want to make sure that um, both men are very coordinated and they're (laughs) – they're not just jamming around in you like they don't got any purpose. There, there needs to be some um, cooperation on the part of all three people involved in the sexual position because the last thing you want is somebody to stab up into you. they got to be hitting the right angle every time. So it can't be very energetic either. This is not a position when you're having sex with, with two men where it's very um, fast and um, even with a double session with a man, I, I think that um, in porn they give you what you see in porn is not necessarily something you should endeavor to do yourself because um, don't go fast because you can damage your partners um, on both ends of the stick because there is nothing more pitiful in this world than a broken dick. Yes, the penile fracture is a sad, sad thing. It is really, really sad. <laughs> and the thing, well, and if you watch time and be slow, hmm. and if you watch porn, you'll find that typically with double penetration, the, the man on the bottom, lying on his back, is, um, and I mean that the literal bottom, the bottom of the pile, um, as opposed to, you know, the person getting fucked. The person, the person lying, often doesn't move much. It's the person on the very top of the pile who does the majority of the mm-hmm. moving of all three, especially with two men um, on a man, so both doing anal penetration. But when you read it, you'll hear read bizarre things like that they alternate their thrusts, and no, it doesn't work that way. That, <laughs> no, it it really doesn't. I mean, even with with the woman in the middle, and then ones in the vagina, and and, and ones in the anus. Um, that kind of activity can lead to um, injury. So it's always best that one of the men be still and I'm not willing to discuss how I know this. <laughs> <laughs> just, just take my word for it. The one on bottom should stay still. And when it comes to penetrating the same orifice, whether it be the, the vagina or the anus, um, if one, if both are moving, they should be moving in tandem together, mm-hmm. or only one should be moving. And honestly, ladies, and I'll put this out here for you, most men are not coordinated enough to do that. Don't let them. This isn't a team sport. <laughs> You're not going to do well. You're going to end up 
getting uh, it's gonna some dick's gonna hit the wrong angle and it's just gonna be bad. And also, here's something else you need to know about double penetration, um, in the same orifice. Uh condom use can't use condoms. You use enough slick to keep the condoms from frictioning and rubbing up against each other and breaking, then you end up losing the condom in the vagina. One can wear a condom. If they, if they both wear a condom, they're either going to slip off because you've got too much lubrication going on. I, I'm speaking from experience. Or they're going to break due to friction because you don't have enough lube. And that's just straight up. And mm-hmm. it happens in anal sex, too. If there's two dicks in there and there's too much movement, you're going to end up breaking a condom. Now, I'm not sure if losing a condom in anal sex is a problem if you're doing double penetration, but when it comes to the vagina, um, yes, you can lose a condom. It will come off. It will go behind your cervix. You'll have to go to the gynecologist and admit to what you did. This is what, and I need help, and then she's going to get things out and they'll just be it's traumatic it's traumatic I've never had a little dick original Tempest I wouldn't know and even with a little dick you can't get two in one mouth that's absolutely true (laughs) there's just there's just not room there's just not room on your face there's not room in your face but when it comes to sex whether you, you, you know Research doesn't mean go out and get laid every night for the next week doing everything you can possibly imagine. Although you could do that if you wanted to. But there you'll are be lots sore. of you'll be very sore. You might not want to sit down and write. <laughs> um but there's you'll, lots of avenues. You'll want to get research. a donut. Right. And fandom, you know, fandom um Fandom is not research material for the most part unless you really have an author that you trust because, you know, when we talk about, you know, viral mistakes, you know, no more putting the lube on before the condom. It doesn't work that way. The condom will slide right off. Right the fuck off. You're leaving a souvenir that nobody wants. And depending on what orifice it's gone up in, you might have to go see the proctologist or the gynecologist. You might end up in the emergency room. And the last thing you want to do is to end up in the emergency room because you lost a condom. There's something else, ladies. If you lose a condom, do not wait for it to come out. Don't wait. You need to go to the doctor as soon as you can. And it's not about STDs or pregnancy at this point. It's about infection, and um, it's just bad. Go right to the doctor and have that extracted. (laughs) It doesn't matter how embarrassed you are. You do not want to leave a condom behind your cervix. You really do not. Or maybe we lost me. Oh, there you are. I'm here. Are you here? I'm here. I I couldn't hear you for like, I don't know, like 30, 45 seconds. I don't know if that was me or you. Oh, well, like what I was saying, don't leave a condom behind your cervix. <laughs> it's just like totally random. It's, like, it's important, important but safety no, tip. But on that condom issue and the friction, 
I am so serious about this when it comes to double penetration. If you use too much lubrication in a condom situation, you will lose the condom. If you don't use enough lubrication, you will end up with friction, which will cause the condom to break, which is why, ladies, you never let a man double condom. Two condoms on one dick. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the story. I'm glad we used two because the first one broke. Well, the first one broke, you dumbass, because you used two. Two. (laughs) And the friction caused the condom to break. There are two reasons condoms break. Friction and they're out of date and they're too old to use. So make sure your dates are good and make sure you don't have any kind of bad friction. And double penetration without lubrication is bad friction, but too much, and you're going to lose a condom. I, Young ladies, single ladies, I highly recommend you buy your own condoms. It doesn't make you a whore or a slut. It makes you prepared. And that way you don't have to worry about where he got it, how old it is, if it's been damaged, you know. You know where it came from. You can buy them on Amazon. Um, buy your own condoms. Also, that's a very good point, Claire. I'm going to bring it up. Um, don't, um, if a man ejaculates into a condom and gets hard again, he needs a new condom. The old one gets taken off, thrown away, and their new one gets put on. Because if you use it twice in that situation, you could cause breakage, which could lead to STDs and pregnancy, or, you know, God forbid, it breaks off, half ends up in you. you got to go to the doctor, <laughs> get the doctor to take it out. Well, and the other big error, one of the other errors that you see in fandom and also people do in real life is that they don't, when you're using a condom, you need to pull out right away and get rid of it. You can't just wait for everything to get back to normal size and then pull out because the condom will stay. The condom will stay. And if you're lucky, half the condom will be hanging out of your body and you can pull it out. But if you're not, the condom's going to be, and then you're going to have Indiana Jones down between your legs trying to find that condom, and it is not good. You know, honestly, can pregnancy be considered an STD, Lady Holder? I think in some situations it probably is. Or it's the equivalent of. (laughs) When um, I was a junior in college, I had a um, a little tin with roses on it, and it had my condoms in it, and it was on my nightstand, and my mom had come up <laughs> to do a shopping trip with me. And um, we were out, and we came we, we came back to the dorm, and um, she was we were dropping off all the stuff, and I was going to spend the night with her in the hotel where she was staying. And um, she picks up my little rose box and says, what is this? And she opens it, and she went, oh, Lifestyles. She said, "I said I prefer those to Trojan." And she put it down, and she and she walked away. And and that was all that was ever said about it. <laughs> but I have a great mom. 
I, I do. I have a great mom who's who's very open minded, and she grew up in the. She was a hippie, and um, in case that wasn't really obvious based on her age, um, she <laughs> she famously got pissed off because she read an article about people who took STD. Mm, I just I just said STD. This is all your fault in the chat room because you keep bringing up STDs. Um, she she did acid in LSD. She did acid in the 70s, and um, apparently she read this article about people who did acid in the 70s, and they got a second trip in their 40s um, because of the way LSD works. And she's pissed off because she didn't get her second trip. <laughs> she said she feels like she got cheated. <laughs> Just That's my mom. I said, well, you go find that dude that sold that to you in the 70s and tell him what you think. <laughs> it's my mom. Your mom is made of wind. We love her. <laughs> I think that's exactly what, you know, okay, uh, so talking in the chat room about um, condom etiquette, and it's super important. Um, some men are, sh- okay, this is, some really technical stuff here, ladies. Some men are showers and some are growers. And if after ejaculation your man immediately gets a great deal smaller, it is very important that he not move. Continue to thrust. Because some guys like to do that. But if he is someone who gets significantly smaller after ejaculation, this is not a judgment, um, and he continues to move, like that's some sexy intimacy thing, it really isn't, ladies, because the condom can slip off and every movement he makes is pushing it deeper and deeper into your vagina. Because your muscles are contracting, your cervix, if you've come, is flexing, and it's going to pull whatever you have into your vagina into your womb. And that's how a condom gets sucked behind your cervix, because your cervix is trying to procreate. So it's trying to pull in whatever it can, because that's its job. During orgasm, it flexes and kind of... um, creates not really a vacuum. I don't want you to get some weird idea that you got a Dyson in your <laughs> in your hoo-ha. But it creates this situation where sperm is supposed to be drawn into the vagina. Well in the in the in the womb. So in the absence of sperm in the vagina, it's going to pull whatever's available that touches it, it kinda of just pulls it in, you know? So that's that that's how a condom gets behind your cervix. So it is imperative that the man reach down between you, hook his fingers around the edge of the condom as he pulls out to make sure he takes the condom with him. This is super important if he gets dramatically smaller after he ejaculates. Some guys stay hard or stay fairly large um, and can pull the condom with them when they come, but (laughs) when they leave. So just make sure they're not leaving the condom behind. Make sure, because you don't want it to get lost, because that's an extremely embarrassing 
um, situation to be in. I speak from experience on that. I will admit it. I did lose a condom. I've lost more than one, but I've only ever had to go to the doctor for one, for the second one because the first one, um, there was some – how he, he might as well had a flashlight and a piss helmet, but he got it. <laughs> the, the second time, it slipped behind my cervix, and I had to go to the doctor. And I called my gynecologist. Um, it was on a Sunday night, and um, I uh, I called my gynecologist Monday morning, and um, I didn't really know that I should have gone to the emergency room. I, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But she gave me a huge lecture about it and um, about infections and um you know, the womb environment and, and how dangerous it was to keep a condom in there for that long. And so I called the office, and when they immediately opened, like, I got two minutes after they opened, I'm calling them, like, I lost a condom. I'm pretty sure it's behind my cervix. And she says, you need to come in right now. Come in right now. We're going to do and we'll get you in on an emergency basis. So I go in, and <clears throat> the man that I was sleeping with was quite big. So big, in fact, that my cervix was bruised. <laughs> which is why the condom was lost to begin with, because he was one of those rockers. After he came, he continued to rock, and it was actually quite nice because he had a really big dick. But the end result was is that this condom ended ended up behind my cervix, and so she's got me up in the stirrups. Sorry, guys. And she got the speculum in because, hello, it's going to be required, right? And she hooks me open, and it's just terrible. This is like the most terrible thing. I was in my 20s, early 20s. And um, she says, oh, congratulations. <laughs> I said, what? She said, this boy must be packing. <laughs> I said, are you serious? And she says, well, your cervix is bruised. I'm like, oh, well, she knocks the bottom out of it. <laughs> she said, I can tell. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was, she had, yeah. And then she went in and she got the condom and she pulled it out. And, um. She was like, you know, um, do you need, you know, do you need? So we did some testing, and she did, went into blood, and she did some other samples to make sure, you know. And she sent the condom off to be tested too to make sure he wasn't, you know. She did the whole workup for me and t- took care of that. But yeah, um, I speak from experience. That's the last thing you want to do. Going to the gynecologist is um, traumatic enough as a woman, you know, but. <laughs> But to have to go there to get a condom removed is a special layer of hell. So make sure to keep track of it at all times. And don't put objects in your vagina or your asshole that aren't made to go in your vagina or your asshole. You don't want to be one of those people that, you know, we all have that nurse relative or doctor who has a story about somebody they saw in the emergency room that had a cucumber up their their ass. You don't want to be that person, okay? You really don't. There are plenty of toys out there that are designed specifically for that purpose. You don't need to repurpose vegetables. Now, With the I exception of ginger, which has a purpose, but okay, yes, go ahead. But they, you're supposed to cut it right so that it doesn't get lost up there. Um, <laughs> you know, with, the, with the lost condom thing, I've never, I've never personally lost one up anywhere. I, you know, feel very fortunate and can hope that trend will continue. But I did have a friend lose one, and she calls me and she says, "Can you come over? We lost the condom." And I told her that um, I said, 
why don't you get him? She wanted me to get it out. And I said, why don't you get him to get it out? And she said, he lost it. He's not trustworthy. I'm not going to let him put anything up there. (laughs) She has a point. (laughs) So I did. I got it out. You know, I actually had that experience, but it was not about a condom. Um, I had, uh, this is really terrible, this is really terrible, but I had a friend lose a tampon. You do, girl, girl she got called me together. You do what you got to do. She called me and she said, um, I've got a real big problem. I'm like, do I need to get a shovel? <laughs> that was my first thought, that she killed somebody, right? Because, Hello? That's just so, that's just how my friends are. If one of you guys called me, oh okay, I'll get my shovel. I have a bag. I have a whole I have a whole box of garbage bags from Costco. But no, she she had lost one of those OB tampons, those tiny ones. And for some reason, it, it hadn't expanded when it got wet, like they're supposed to. Um. <clears throat> And uh, she called me, and she says, I, I got a real problem. And she she explained to me what happened, and she says, you have to come over here and help me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to go to the drugstore first. I'll be, give me a half hour. So I went to the drugstore <laughs> and got a box of gloves. <sighs> and let's just say that I did what a friend has to do, but... I would not do it again. (laughs) Next time her ass is going to the emergency room, her vagina too. (laughs) But that's, see, that's that's the thing, guys, about girls, that, you know, we all have that friend that will be the one that helps you get a tampon out. (laughs) That's just the way girls are. And the funny thing is, we oddly enough, we have this weird thing in our minds that, I mean, I actually would, I personally, I'd rather go to the to the emergency room, but you know, my my train of thought on the whole thing is, is that I would much rather the guy I'm never going to see again have to get that out than the friend I have dinner with every week. Oh, <laughs> no, right? There's no way. So women just think differently about it. They're like, oh, I'm much more comfortable with my friend, and I'm I'm the person who goes, please, no. let's not be that comfortable. <laughs> I want it to be a stranger. Someone you never, ever, ever have to see again. I would have sex in front of strangers, but I would not have sex in front of people I know. You never have to see those assholes again. That's right. <laughs> but someone you know, they're never going to go away. It's just. See, I have this, my GP, my GP offers to do my um, annual pap smears and stuff. Because, you know, he's a family practice doctor, and they're supposed to offer to do your complete physical. And I'm like, no, no. And finally one day he asked me, does it, does it really, really bother you? And I said, like, seriously, I have to see you, like, every month. And the guy who treats my asthma is not putting a speculum in me. I'm just, I have these boundaries, and you're going to have to learn to live with it. <laughs> I have, I have boundaries, very weird boundaries um, for for doctors, and um, like, uh, I have prescriptions that I get from my gynecologist that I don't let my general practitioner fill because I feel like it's not her domain. It's just, that's none of your business. (laughs) Even though they 
chat, and they're actually friends. I was actually recommended to the gynecologist from my GP, and they they actually went to medical school together. Um, and um, they share my records, and um, they have some big, I don't know, commune, I don't know. But I still don't let them <laughs> cross-purpose. It's just, no. And when I had a lump in my breast, I made an appointment with my doctor, my, with, a, with my gynecologist, instead of my general practitioner. And so she gets the report. Um, because they're all connected, and I I marked off it, you know, to, to get that sent to my general practitioner. And she called me, and she says, you found a lump in your breast? Why don't you come to me? And I'm like, I went to the gynecologist. <laughs> She's the one that fills up my tits. That's right. You, you don't have fill to fill up my doctor. tits. <laughs> You've never felt my tits up before. How would you know? You don't have any experience with my tits. <laughs> and she was laughing, but I was totally serious. I mean, you know. You don't go to the podiatrist for your tits. Why <laughs> would I go to the general practitioner for my tits? I have I have two doctors that do that. Exactly. Oh, that's got to be hinky. So what I would want any writer who's been listening to this roaming conversation about sex and condoms and um, dominance and submission and tops and bottoms is is to remember that um, it's inappropriate to assign um, BDSM roles to a non-BDSM situation. And um, copying from the bottom has nothing to do with who's doing the fucking. And um, being fucked does not equal submission. It does not equal feminization. It doesn't equal emasculation. Um, And it's really terrible and insulting and degrading to assign a female gender role to a gay male character. There's nothing wrong with being a woman. If you want to write a woman, write a woman. But do not write a man as if he were female. It's a disservice to your craft, it's a disservice to your character, and it's extremely insulting because what you're saying is is that in a relationship between two men, one of them has to be a female. And that's unacceptable. That's not actually how that works. That's not how any of that works. That's just my opinion. You don't gotta like it. You can be insulted or hurt by it. Well, I don't care. <laughs> but if you exactly, Claire, Claire says in the chat room, if you want to write het, write het. If you want to write a woman, write a woman. But don't appropriate a male character. Keep him male and write him as a female. You're insulting us both. You're insulting men and women because what you're saying is is that two men can't have an intimate romantic relationship unless one of them acts like a woman. 
And that's ugly. Because love and intimacy isn't the domain of a woman. And that's what you're saying is that in order to have that love and intimacy and softness that you need to emasculate one of your characters and turn them into a girl with a dick. And I don't mean that literally like a girl with a dick because that's kind of hot. I mean like you're feminizing your character just because it's easier for you and that's that's terrible. And if you're butt hurt by my opinion, you can kiss my ass. Jilly? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Kiss her ass. I, I tell I tell people who give me a hard time to kiss your ass all the time. <laughs> you kiss Garrett's ass. <laughs> well, I use your fuck you page. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but you know, the other thing for authors out there is, you know, it is not your job to submit to fandom. They don't get to put you into a, a, a and they try to create some sort of power dynamic between the reader and the author where they think they have the power to tell you what to do. Don't fall for that trap. No one has the power to tell you what to write. No one tells you ha- has the power to tell you what to warn for. And no one has the power to tell you how you have to write your characters. You don't have to submit to some sort of fandom trope because of some weird unwritten rule that no one's going to read your story, supposedly, if Jack Bottoms or if, you know, Blair stands up for himself or whatever whatever trope of theirs it is that you're violating, you don't have to buy into that crap. And you don't have to listen to me either, unless you're on rough trade and I have rules. <laughs> That's right. Nope. And, you know... You don't have to accept my point of view. You don't have to. Um, you could continue on your way the way you do. I'm going to think you're wrong. I'm not going to tell you because that's not what I do. I might bitch about it obliquely on um, my radio show. But I don't actually talk to um, authors that way unless they invite me into their space and say, hey, what do you think of this? And I'm like, well, you know what? That's not actually how that works. But if you don't ask me, you're never going to know. So don't worry about it. Um, if you're, um, if you prefer to emasculate one of your male characters and, and, and turn them basically into a woman, um, you go ahead and you do that. <laughs> that really hurt to say. That hurt so much. That actually like caused a pain in my chest. <laughs> I felt the pain. But if you, you, if, you I hesitated. if you don't do it, if you do write your characters, you know, two men having sex, if you do that and people bitch at you, don't feel like you have to change. And if they bitch at you, you can tell them to kiss my ass. <laughs> Kira has an entire <laughs> fuck you page. You can you can send them the fuck you page. The little old lady flipping, flipping you off. The perfectly amazing bird finger, but no, I mean, for serious, for, for to be absolutely for real, um, I don't expect anybody to write um, to please me, because um, I don't write to please you. Um, I do these topics to explore my perspective, and if, if I have a guest, their perspective, 
on on something I see in fandom and something I find very irritating. Um, but don't feel like um, you have to meet anybody's expectations, including mine, on these topics. I I hope you learn something and you approach your next story or your next sex scene with a little more awareness, but you have every right to... Oh, God, that hurts so much. <laughs> you don't... <laughs> you can write whatever the fuck you want to write, okay? You just you own it. That's all I would say, as I, I would expect of any writer. If you're going to write it, you need to own it. And also, if you're going to write sex and you've never had sex, you really need to watch porn. Just not a lot of porn, but you need to learn the physics. <laughs> I do mean physics. Physicality and and sexual positions and gravity and um, body strength and stamina. Because uh, quite frankly, I read a story once where Gibbs, pinned Tony to the wall and fucked him. Okay, so Gibbs picks Tony up and Tony wraps his legs around Gibbs' waist and Gibbs fucks him up against a wall for like 15 or 20 minutes. And unless your Gibbs is a werewolf, that's just not happening. Right. <laughs> just really unrealistic. So have some realism in your um in your sex if at all possible. Um uh, watch porn, pay attention. Think about it. Think about it a little bit. Um just, you know, just two men sitting side by side cannot fuck the same hole. No matter where no matter where that hole may be. I'm just it doesn't matter where the hole is. Two men standing side by side cannot fuck the same hole. Unless that hole is the size of Mars. <laughs> As Azor said, it would be like throwing a Twinkie down a hallway. <laughs> That's it for us. We're down to a minute. You guys have a great weekend. Remember, no ass to mouth. There's always time and for there's lube. Always time, and there's always time for lube. <laughs> Shut up and sit down. Seven billion humans on Earth can't all like the same drink. That's why Circle K has Polar Pop and Froster. Pick your flavors and make that one in seven billion mix just right for you. 
Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations.